Welcome to the Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a birth worker, mum of two boys, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to season four of the Real Birth Podcast. Now it's been a little while since series three finished so it's feeling really really good to be back with you all and I can't believe it's actually around about two years now since my first episode which is just crazy. Uh, As many of you know I recently had my second baby so it's been a bit tricky to find time to record and edit and produce the podcast. You really forget how time consuming really tiny babies are but slowly slowly bit by bit here we are we are ready for another season of birth chat big thanks goes out to my husband actually mike for helping me find the time to do this uh you can feel pretty guilty as a new mum for taking time to do anything that isn't baby related anything that is for you that makes you feel like a human and um yeah he's just been immense at making that a reality and possibility so thank you I have got some incredible stories coming up. This season, I'm going to be releasing episodes fortnightly. I am chasing my tail slightly with editing and not having quite as much time as I'm used to. But if I release fortnightly, it allows me to get some content out to you sooner. And yeah, it's just going to feel a little bit more comfortable this time around. So bear with me. It should be all fine, but there may be the occasional delay. We will see how we go. Babies permitting. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, It's a real pleasure to be back with you. To mark the start of season four and the end of my maternity leave, in the first episode I'm going to be sharing my own birth story of my second baby. So I entered into this pregnancy following a very recent miscarriage and I just threw everything I had into my plans for a vaginal home birth after previous caesarean. And as you'll hear, my plans didn't play out in the way that I had hoped and I actually transferred into hospital for another C-section birth. Sometimes babies have other plans for their births and my little Felix certainly did on that day. So I hope you enjoy listening to my story and how it all unfolded. Here goes. If you want to listen to my first birth story, which was back in 2019, you can go back to series one, episode one. It's the first birth story I ever shared. And if you listen to that one, that might be interesting provide some context but in summary my first birth I had a great pregnancy planned home birth went into labour naturally laboured at home for a fairly long time before it was discovered that my baby was breech and I transferred to hospital and decided ultimately that the right decision for me was a cesarean birth so So that's just a little bit of background on what happened uh, for baby number one. I wasn't initially sure about having another baby. Um, I found the really early baby days really difficult. And uh, yeah, there was a period of time where I wasn't sure whether I was just actually happy with with one baby. But something happened kind of when he was around two years old. um, We decided that we would like to try and have another baby. We were in the process of moving house. We had bought the new house, but we were waiting for everything to go through. So it was a little bit risky, but we decided to kind of tentatively start trying. And actually it it took a little while. So it took around about seven months of trying to get pregnant before we had a positive test. And so that was in the spring of 2022. It was a shock. I don't know why it's a shock. It always is. But obviously we were really thrilled and we were about to go off to a kind of couple of nights. We'd booked a couple of nights away in Brighton for my birthday. It was the first time that me and my husband would have been away for two nights together and left the, I say baby, two and a half, three-year-old, left him with my in-laws. So it was exciting but obviously feeling pretty grim at that stage I was about seven weeks all the typical kind of just feeling pretty gross and having to avoid certain foods and alcohol which was a bit of a shame around my birthday but you know however just as we were going away for that weekend I started to have some spotting and 
I had never had any spotting before. I had had a previous miscarriage where there was no spotting. It was just kind of really spontaneous. And so I was a bit confused because you hear that spotting can be completely normal, but I was feeling pretty worried about it, to be honest. So we decided that on our way back from Brighton, we would go for a private scan. I could have waited a couple of days because it was the weekend I could have waited a couple of days to try and get into my local early pregnancy unit at the hospital but I just knew that the anxiety of it all was going to eat away at me and thankfully we were able to get a private appointment that we paid for so we went over to the private clinic which was on the way back from Brighton towards home and We went in and they gave me a scan and she was poking around in there for quite a long time and asking about my dates and asking if I was sure I was pregnant and I just knew that something wasn't quite right there. So basically the long and short of it is the woman that scanned us said she couldn't find anything, nothing. Like she could not see evidence of a pregnancy at all in my uterus even though I knew that I was pregnant and so at that stage they started to talk to talk about it being a pregnancy of unknown location which I had not really heard of but ultimately that can mean that it could be an ectopic pregnancy where the baby starts to develop inside the fallopian tube and that can be really dangerous if it goes unnoticed it can rupture and you can lose a fallopian tube and it can actually even lead to death so straight away they were very very keen for me to go to A&E Um, It was suddenly turned from this exciting thing where we were hopefully going to confirm that everything was okay to you have to go to A&E now, it could be life-threatening, go, go, go. So that was really frightening and we went to A&E straight away. After a couple of hours, they gave me a pregnancy test and said, yes, you're pregnant, but they couldn't do anything for me that day. And they said, go home, come back tomorrow when the pregnancy unit is open. And they basically just gave me a list of things to look out for in case of rupture. So that was a pretty frightening night. Um, Didn't really sleep an awful lot and managed to get an appointment for the next day to go and find out what, what on earth was going on. I went into the hospital and they scanned me and it was just unbelievable. The woman scanned me and said, I don't know what the hell happened yesterday, but there's your baby. Everything's absolutely fine. You can see the heart beating. All is good. And obviously we were just absolutely like flipping out. We've been on this roller coaster for the last (laughs) few days. And um, she said, you know, it's fine. Book in with your midwife. All is well. And we kind of thought that was that was that. And um, she said that there was no obvious reason for the spotting. So that was that. Unfortunately, gosh, it was a few weeks later. So it was about 11 weeks. I had some more spotting, but this time it was heavier. But it was still kind of dark blood, which they say is old blood. So not necessarily indicative of like an immediate problem. So I went back to the hospital. I mean, typically... Um, I'm pretty sure this happened at a weekend again but anyway I went back to the hospital at 11 weeks and I had a scan and yeah straight away they said I'm really sorry it's not good news they actually couldn't really see anything within my uterus other than kind of tissue that had broken down so they said it was quite likely that the baby had died a week or two before that and um, broken down or started the process and um, that the spotting was probably the start of a miscarriage happening for me. So they offered me a few options. They offered, they said you can wait and see what happens and just wait for the miscarriage to happen on its own. We can give you a medication which will start the miscarriage and you will go home and lose the baby at home or we can offer you um, an operation called a DNC where we will put you to sleep and make sure everything's gone and then you'll wake up and it'll be over. So I had a decision to make and I decided even though in my mind I knew I wanted to have the operation I went home and decided to give it just kind of sleep on it. Um, I have had a natural miscarriage and it was absolutely yeah it was just really awful and I always told myself if I ever had the option of that happening to me again or an operation I would pick the DNC every time that's just me personally based on a previous experience so I phoned them up and said yes please I would like to go for the DNC if that's available and still on the cards and they said yes but 
due to some lingering COVID restrictions, which really angered me actually at the time. Um, They said I had to self-isolate for four days before I could go in for any surgery and that I would have to take a COVID test on the morning of the operation. And so, yeah, basically I stayed at home for four days, but the day before my DNC appointment, unfortunately, my body decided to start the process and I had a natural miscarriage at home, which was, yeah, not great. It was, um, I've just felt really isolated and alone and thankfully my mum was able to come and take my older son and um, yeah, me and my husband just kind of got through that by ourselves. I let the hospital know but they said, you know, come in for your appointment anyway tomorrow because of the isolation policy, nobody else can take that appointment now, you you have already done the isolating so come anyway and see how, you know, we can, we can check you over. So I went in and they checked and my body hadn't quite passed everything. So they said, we can give you the medication, you can go home and basically do it all over again, or we can we can do the operation as scheduled. So I just needed it to be done and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, my, my husband was able to be with me for the scan and kind of pre-op and stuff, but then he left and I just sort of phoned him after after the operation was done. And I kind of felt weirdly great after the operation. I know that sounds really weird, but I think it's like all of the all of the pregnancy stuff was gone and I, I kind of just felt like a big sense of relief, like it was done. And I almost felt like I had like a post-birth high, you know, like the hormones, I don't know. I don't know if it can even happen at that stage, but yeah, I was, I was very, very close to that 12-week mark. Like I was so close to that time where they say things are potentially safer and you know we were getting ready to tell people so it was really yeah it was really hard but after that miscarriage I kind of knew right I've done this before I've done two of these now we know we want another baby we know that sometimes it can take a bit longer to conceive I mean that pregnancy had taken seven months to conceive my son had taken about 11 months so I kind of decided just to get back on the horse and try again like as soon as possible my previous strategy had been after the first miscarriage was just to wait because I wasn't ready but this time it was like right let's just do it we know we know what we're in for now we know we're strong and also a part of me thought if I have another miscarriage then I've had three and then somebody will have to take this seriously and do all the tests and see what's going on so it is a it's a rubbish policy but yeah in the UK unless you've had three miscarriages you don't get any kind of um, support as to why that that might be happening. I think I had one period after the operation and then the following month, actually we had a conversation and said, right, we're going to give it another month because we're not 100%, you know, there yet. But decided that it wouldn't be the worst thing if it happened, but we weren't going to kind of like actively try that month. But as they say, it only takes one. And um, I was absolutely, you know, really, really shocked. But we got pregnant immediately. So after all that trying for the first baby and even for this one that we just lost, it just kind of happened. So in a way, it was really frightening because it was straight away, but it did take away all the stress of timings, trying to conceive, ovulation tests, like all of that. It just took that out of my hands and it was just like, right, okay, here you go. It's done. (laughs) Um, So I was extremely grateful that it had happened. But something that I don't think people talk about very much is the feelings and the emotions that can come up when you become pregnant after a loss, particularly straight away after a loss. I really struggled. I was not happy. I wasn't, I couldn't feel joy. I felt frightened. I was still not really processing the loss that had just happened to me. And my husband was like thrilled, you know, absolutely fair enough. You know, you've just found out you know you're pregnant again fantastic but I think it the most difficult part was that you know he couldn't really understand why I wasn't happy and that caused a lot of friction between us and it was a really difficult period I was really thankful my my employer I work for a mental health charity um, particularly for perinatal mental health and they were amazing and they offered to fund some counselling for me so I had some counselling to work on the loss but also this new pregnancy and yeah it was really really helpful and basically I kind of got to a stage where I started to feel like it was okay to be 
it was okay to mourn the first the previous loss but it was also okay to feel potential and excited about this current pregnancy I don't seem to do things <laughs> simply so um, at around about nine weeks pregnant I started bleeding and I just remember going to the toilet and um, my husband was in bed and our little boy was in the bed as well and they were giggling away and I just remember going to the bathroom and just my heart sinking and just going oh for god's sake like seriously I can't do this again it was a bank holiday weekend uh, which wasn't helpful we went to A&E because I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to relax or do anything until I knew what was going on and I was kind of completely geared up for it to be I'm really sorry bad news so we went to A&E and we were told that there was um, a 12-hour wait to be seen but thankfully they kind of did their triage thing quite quickly and I knew that I didn't need to see somebody you know in A&E I needed to see the early pregnancy clinic which um, wasn't technically open because it was bank holiday weekend they did a pregnancy test yes you're pregnant according to this to the test um, and they said it's unlikely that anyone will be able to see you for another two days but actually somebody happened to be working in the pregnancy clinic even though it was technically closed and they said that they could see me in two hours time if I wanted to wait so yeah we got in the car and we just sat in the car and didn't really talk or do anything we just waited for them to call us um, we went in and they gave me a, a scan and I mean the guy was in I say the guy was in there the uh the sonographer scanned me for I mean it must have been about 10 seconds because he put it in and he was just like yep yeah, there's your baby all good and this time it really looked like a baby you know I was about nine and a half weeks I, I think so it really the outline it looked like a baby you could see the heartbeat everything was perfect he did the measurements he said this is exactly where I'd expect you to be at this stage I can't see any reason for the bleeding I think everything's absolutely fine you know as fine as we can possibly say it is so back off the roller coaster it was like wow okay this is okay all is well we hadn't actually told our family that we were pregnant again so we had to because they had to look after our son so it was like hey FYI I'm pregnant but uh, I'm bleeding and then we finally then sent them another message a few hours later saying all is well so it wasn't exactly the way that we wanted to share that news but we were just glad that it was positive news we then had our 12-week scan and everything was absolutely great um, just looking amazing and yeah we finally felt really confident that everything was well so yeah that was the pregnancy at the beginning <laughs> um it really did feel like a crazy roller coaster the whole process of trying to get pregnant again and um yeah solidarity to anyone who can relate to those kind of ups and downs it's really really not simple sometimes so yeah we found out the baby was another boy at seven, about 17 weeks I found out we didn't find out the sex of the first baby we wanted that to be a surprise but this time we knew that we wanted to be able to share with our older son you know whether he was having a brother or a sister so that was really nice and then everything really shifted towards the birth plan so as I have had a previous cesarean the options for me would be to either plan a repeat cesarean which they will be very happy to offer and happy to do if that's what you choose or I could decide that I wanted to have a natural birth which is known as a VBAC a vaginal birth after cesarean and that is something that I wanted to do I really really wanted to try and um, do everything I could to have a vaginal birth some of the things that I did to put myself in the best possible position to do that I started swimming and I did as much kind of swimming exercise as I could I did a course with an amazing um, midwife called Molly O'Brien called the biomechanics for birth that's something that I've been interested in doing anyway kind of for some doula work that I had been taking on also it's just really fantastic she focuses on how to address issues with the body and even sort of during labor positions and things like that to set yourself up to have the optimal position for your baby I was also seeing a chiropractor who specializes in pregnancy who knew about my previous birth of an undiagnosed breach I did a hypnobirthing refresher with Erin from Better Birth and that was great uh, and we also hired a doula again this time um, the doula we hired this time actually was our midwife 
from when we had our first baby who had since kind of retired out of the NHS and retrained to offer doula services. So somebody that I knew really well and who I knew knew me and I knew would be, although not providing any medical care, has a lot of knowledge about the medical system that I was going to be in. In terms of having a VBAC, it's considered a safe and reasonable option for, you know, most people. There is a risk of your previous cesarean scar rupturing, which can be life-threatening. And that is something that will come up for anybody who is thinking about having a VBAC. And that would be the main consideration and the main factor that people will talk to you about in terms of planning your birth as as in terms of like where you want to be or whether you choose to have a repeat cesarean the actual risk of having a rupture to your uterine scar is really really low um, it's anywhere from kind of 0.2 percent to 0.5 percent if you are induced that risk will go up slightly to around the one percent mark but we're still talking incredibly small numbers. So for me personally, I looked at all the risks, all the options that were available to me, and I really decided that yes, I did want to have a VBAC and I did want to birth at home. However, in my community at the time when I was planning this birth, we did not have any community birth open. And this is kind of a fallout from the COVID situation and staffing issues. We actually, I think we were one of the only trusts in the whole of the UK that had still not reopened their birth centre or home birth options um, following COVID. So it was a really difficult situation because for me at the beginning of my pregnancy, I either had to go onto the labour ward at hospital or birth completely unattended which would be known as a free birth. I really really did not want to have a free birth purely because I didn't feel that I would be able to manage the pain without gas and air at the very least. I also don't think that I could have really let go and been able to trust the process without knowing that something or someone was on hand and for a while it was a really difficult um, situation because I kind of felt like I was being forced into going to hospital labour ward, which is not where I wanted to be for various reasons. Our particular trust, you know, the cesarean rate was approaching 40%. The induction rate was around the same. And I just didn't feel like it would be the best place for me to achieve the birth that I wanted to achieve. Thankfully, when I was around 20-something oh, weeks, the birth centre reopened. And so the plan was to birth at the birth centre, which was kind of like a compromise for me. Once that was kind of decided, then home birth reopened. And then that was a conversation of, well, if we're happy to go with birth centre, then we might as well go for home. I mean, they're both exactly the same distance from the hospital. The pain relief options are exactly the same. And I knew I could change my mind at any time. So, yeah. It's not quite as straightforward as that. However, once you have had a previous cesarean, you are labelled as high risk, you are consultant-led. And so I was given an appointment with a consultant at the hospital to discuss my birth plans. And I joined a couple of support groups on Facebook of people who were planning or had achieved feedback births, which was really, really helpful but it also kind of scared me a bit because some of the experiences of the women in these groups had been so negative. These consultants had really scared the life out of them with with the way that they had talked about the possibilities of their birth going wrong. And it just felt, I was really scared of this appointment basically. And I felt like I needed to approach it like I was going into battle. Like <laughs> I actually went in there with like a big fact sheet of all the latest evidence-based data about births um, at home versus in the hospital, um, VBAC births in particular. And I was really ready to like fight my case to get approval. And I say approval because technically they have to sign off on it, even though it's kind of your body. It's, it's my vagina. You can't tell me <laughs> where I get to do things with it. But yeah, I went in and actually the consultant was really nice. And she recommended that I gave birth at the hospital but she also recognised that I was extremely well informed and educated, that I knew exactly what 
risks I was taking and what benefits I would be getting. And yeah, she signed she signed off basically saying that I was birthing outside of her guidelines, but all all would be fine. And it's not in writing, but what she said to me was, look, the chances of anything going wrong because of your scar is rarer than a hen's teeth. It's much more likely, you know, if you were to transfer into hospital, it would be for a different reason. It wouldn't necessarily be your scar. So that was really good actually and I came out of it feeling like oh maybe I didn't need to you know prepare all this like debate material so yeah once that was all kind of done it it gave me a bit more space to breathe and relax because I knew that firstly I I had kind of technically approval from a consultant and I also knew that I could birth at the birth centre or home. Um, we had a really lovely midwife uh, and she, unfor- but she unfortunately left partway through my pregnancy, which was a shame, but she was really lovely. I then did see another midwife who then became my regular midwife. It wasn't like I saw lots of different people, so that was really good. In terms of pushback, I actually was expecting loads of pushback from the consultants, but I wasn't really expecting much pushback for my VBAC, well, my HBAC, so home birth after cesarean. I wasn't really expecting much pushback from the midwives, but I did get a couple of comments that really upset me um, about, you do know that if something goes wrong, you'll die. And yeah, when somebody says that to you, I think... It was one of those sort of like off the cuff comments, but it really hit me. And yeah, it, it was it was difficult. That week was difficult, but we we kind of moved past that. And, and actually everybody then was like super supportive and really excited to see what was going to happen. I didn't have any kind of additional care during my pregnancy because of my previous cesarean. The only thing I did have is I had a presentation scan at 37 weeks. And that's something I actually requested I had had a baby previously who had been breached and nobody had noticed for you know the whole pregnancy. Obviously, he just felt like a head down baby. So I thought, well, if I make babies that feel like they're head down when they're not, I kind of kind of want to know what I'm doing here. So I booked in a scan at 37 weeks just to check that the baby was definitely in a good position. And thankfully, yeah, he was perfectly uh, head down, really good alignment, kind of his spine was going down my tummy however he wasn't engaged in my pelvis and he kind of never really felt like he was in the pelvis as they say kind of the baby dropping or the baby engaging so we started to get closer to the very end of my pregnancy and the topic of induction started coming up a little bit it's not something that really happened with my first baby but I know that lots and lots of people now are being offered induction at 39 weeks like almost routinely which is kind of insane pregnancies are normal anywhere between 37 and 42 weeks that is a perfectly healthy normal pregnancy length so I kind of wasn't even interested in being considered overdue until I got to 42 weeks and one day you know if that's the guideline why are you saying I'm overdue and we're like not even at 40 weeks the induction chats kind of tentatively started happening or it was more of a kind of let's talk about your plan for what what's the plan now what we're going to do as if I had to do anything and I said well my plan is to wait for the baby to come and I'm never ever going to consent to an induction that's my personal thing it's not something I ever want to do I had already decided that if it was a choice between inducing or having a repeat cesarean I would choose a repeat cesarean I actually said, well, my plan, if you need to write something down, is that I will have a conversation with you about a repeat cesarean at 43 weeks. And they didn't really like that. But, you know, I said, I'm not overdue until 42 weeks. So let's talk when I am technically one week overdue at 43 weeks. I mean, the chances of me getting to 43 weeks is pretty slim. But yeah, so that kind of took that conversation off the table. However, um, at about 35 weeks, I got really, really, really poorly, Um, like couldn't leave the bed poorly, coughing so hard, I like pulled all my muscles. I I basically was poorly for about four weeks and all these COVID tests were saying negative, but it just felt like, felt like COVID. I was just lying in bed, like no energy, couldn't even walk up the stairs. And I was like 38 weeks pregnant. And part of me just thought, 
how the hell am I going to go into labor? How the hell am I going to push a baby out when I can't do anything? And at that point, I remember crying to my husband and him just saying, do you know what, it is okay if you want to have a cesarean planned so you don't have to worry about all this energy stuff. It is okay, you're allowed to do that. And I just remember feeling like so much gratitude for him in that moment because it was something that I had really vocally said I didn't want to do. But just knowing there was space for me to change my mind really helped everything. As it transpired, you know, I I recovered at around 39 weeks and, and felt much better. So yeah, baby kind of obviously knew that it wasn't time yet. And I kind of thought that I would go into labour about the same time that I did with my first baby, which was roughly around about 40 weeks. Um, But 40 weeks came and went, and then 41 weeks came and went, and uh, I received a letter saying that I had a consultant appointment booked in for me at 41 plus 5 to kind of discuss things. And I thought, well, I know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to say, no, thank you. I'll have a, a chat after I'm well over 42 weeks, I'm fine with that. I knew the statistics in terms of the elevated risk and I knew that it was extremely minimal in terms of stillbirth, etc. I said, look, I don't want to like not turn up for this consultant appointment, but I also don't want to travel 40 minutes at 42 weeks pregnant, basically, waddle into your appointment for you to potentially scare me out of a decision I I know is evidence-based. So I said, look, I will accept a phone call. Um, I'm not traveling all that way. I I I can't, you know, I'm too pregnant for this. So uh, yeah, they, they booked in the phone call and actually, as it turned out, I gave birth on that day anyway. So I did not need that consultant appointment and it kind of made me feel happy and smug that I didn't need to speak to them in the end. So I thought that I was going into labour quite a few times. I had quite a lot of false starts. The most memorable false start we had was we went out for a really nice dinner at a nice restaurant locally because I wanted to have like one last kind of date night. I could feel contractions coming just after we ordered the food and I could feel them coming and I thought, no, no, my beef bourguignon hasn't come yet no, this isn't okay. I I really, really want that beef bourguignon. And um, yeah, my body just listened and stopped. And yeah, I really was like clinging onto the table, like breathing through and all these people were looking at me like, oh my God, that woman's in labour. But actually, as soon as the food came, it went away. So in a way it was good because the food was lush, but actually I then waited for like, oh, at least another week before it actually kicked off for real. So might have been cool if I'd actually gone into labour that day. So the day before I went into labour for real, I was at my mum's house and just sat on the sofa and all of a sudden I felt the most incredible movement inside my belly. It was so huge and so intense that I actually dropped to my knees and, you know, my mum and my husband were like, what is going on? And I knew that the baby had moved and I knew that it was a really big movement and I started to worry and I sat up and I felt my tummy and where it had previously been a really solid rock where I could almost feel his spine all the way down running down my belly it was all soft and so I knew in my heart that the baby had turned to a posterior position. So what that means is that rather than having his back against my tummy, he had rotated and his back was now against my back. And any movements that I felt at the front of my belly were like his hands and feet kind of kicking against the front of my tummy. So that wasn't great. Um, I knew that a posterior baby was harder to birth, that it would be a longer, more painful labor and that it could potentially be something that changed my birth. But I didn't really tell anyone. I told Mike because he could tell that, you know, my belly had changed and he could feel that it was soft. But I didn't tell anyone else, like midwives or anyone like that. I just kind of thought, I'm going to see how this goes. And I know that babies can rotate during labour. I mean, they they do rotate during labour. 
but I knew that there was every possibility that he could move back before my labour started. So that night I did everything I could. I was on my hands and knees. I was did a few handstands. I did absolutely everything I could to try and encourage a bit of movement in there, but nothing changed. And the next day, which is the day that I actually started labour, I was so done being pregnant. I was 41 plus four, I think. And I knew that the next day I was going to have to have this consultant conversation. I just thought I have to get this going by myself. I don't want to have to deal with any sort of interventions that aren't just part of my own decision making process. So that night I did the usual kind of bouncing on my ball, did all the moves to try and encourage things to start and I actually decided that I wanted to set the room up ready as if I was in labour. I don't know why but we got all the fairy lights up, we got some music on, we decided to get the oxytocin going just as much as possible. We watched my favourite funny film, we watched the Eurovision film on Netflix, the Will Ferrell one. Um, So had a good laugh at that, ate some really nice food and got a bit intimate with each other for... (laughs) without being too graphic, sorry family, because that kind of thing can really boost your oxytocin and get things going. And um, yeah, I mean, it worked. So about an hour or two after um, we'd had our cuddles and um, had our nice food and been laughing to this film, it was about 10pm and I started to feel some regular tightenings and I thought, okay, this actually feels like it's not going away because I'd had quite a few nights where it had started but things had just really slowed down or not been regular but this time it felt really different so I decided to go to bed and I said, I think it's going to happen tonight or tomorrow so um, yeah, I sent my husband to bed as well. I ended up sleeping through a lot of it, sort of just dozing in and out but I woke up at about half past two in the morning and they were really getting a bit stronger so I I had to kind of focus on them and I wasn't able to sleep anymore so I came downstairs and I did some relaxing on the sofa and like bounced on my ball and just kind of enjoyed sitting there in the dark knowing the whole world was asleep and the fairy lights were on and it was just really nice and about four o'clock in the morning I decided I needed to wake my husband up I needed some support it was definitely real at that point so I woke him up which was really exciting. We phoned our doula and she arrived at about five o'clock. Our three-year-old was asleep in his room and I was so worried about him waking up, but he he just didn't. He was absolutely great. Um, He woke up at his normal time of kind of like half past six-ish and it was really lovely because my husband uh, went up to see him and said, uh, you know, you've been asking for ages, when is the baby going to come? When is the baby going to come? Um, well, the baby's definitely going to come now, like the mummy's downstairs and, and the baby's starting to come. So he was really excited and, and that was, I know, a really special moment between them. Um, he came down and had some porridge with our doula who kind of kept an eye on him and, and played with him for a bit, which was great. And then at about seven o'clock, we got the midwives to come. And that was really nice. It was a couple of midwives that I recognised just from being involved with kind of the birth world. I knew a couple of them and um, it was really nice. They were so encouraging and I was really managing really well. I had a TENS machine, which I'd borrowed from a friend and it was really doing the job. However, I did feel like things happened quite quickly and it was the same with my first labour. So straight away, my contractions at this time kind of about sort of well it says in my notes at 7 45 a.m my contractions were four in ten so I was having four contractions every 10 minutes and they were lasting for one minute each which is kind of what you're looking for really I found stamping really helpful so when I was having a contraction I would kind of stamp my feet and it would kind of like shake things out at that stage and that was working really well for me The thing that kind of got things really ramping up actually was when my little boy went to nursery so at eight o'clock ish my mum came and collected him and I just remember having a big cuddle with him and telling him I loved him and he left and I just had this really big emotional release where I just said he's gone like my baby's gone like that was it you know that's the last time it was just me and him and it was never going to be the same ever again and yeah I didn't know it at the time but there were a few other people in the room who had a bit of a cry at that moment as well (laughs) 
So at that time, then we had a midwife shift change. So the midwife that I knew and, and liked kind of had been there just an hour before she had to go. And some new midwives came. I didn't know them and I had never met them before. And I didn't particularly gel with them. She was fine, but it just wasn't um, somebody that I knew. And therefore I was kind of slightly on edge with it. Um, it wasn't really my style. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I was just kind of dealing with things on my own. So it didn't really matter. But um, the thing that started to feel strange at this point was, yeah, I kind of had somebody that I didn't really know as my midwife. The sun was kind of up and blazing and it felt really weird to be in the daylight because I had like all my fairy lights and my last labour had been all through the night and it felt really kind of dark and cosy and magical this real like nighttime thing and it just suddenly felt too bright everything was really sunny and it just didn't feel like what I had expected it to feel like Something I remember that I think did throw me a little bit was I was kind of like mid-contraction and just coming down from it and the midwife came into the kitchen and started asking questions about my scar and saying, are you feeling any pain in your scar? Does your scar hurt? Do you feel like your scar hurts? And I just thought, I'll tell you if that's what's happening. And it felt like kind of those thoughts were being put into my head I was able to kind of shake that off but yeah that wasn't something that I really appreciated in the moment. As with my previous labour I had decided to decline any kind of vaginal examinations. I knew that unless I wanted to have one because I wanted to know how far along I was in terms of my dilation I would ask that. Yeah so they they were fine they didn't they didn't ask me if I wanted that. Um, I think they asked when they arrived I said no and then they kind of left it. So everything kind of from this point I'm going off my birth notes which I photographed which I would highly recommend doing after you give birth you have to give back all your notes so if you photograph them then it can really help to look back and see what happened and at what time in what order so around about quarter past nine I started to feel a bit pushy and my contractions were still like really really regular In the notes here, it says that I was feeling worried about not progressing and I said something didn't feel like it was going right. I don't know, it felt like intuition, but I kind of just kept going and decided to kind of push that to one side for the moment. I started having some gas and air, which was was great. And in the notes, it says that they noticed the purple line, which is a line that they might, that the midwife might notice that kind of starts at the top of your butt crack and travels up your lower back and if that purple line is seen it can be a sign that you are almost fully dilated so yeah the notes say that they suspected I was almost fully dilated based on that and I really appreciated the fact that they were willing to look at other bodily signs and not have to do an invasive internal examination just to check where I was so that was great. Um, I got into the pool about 10 o'clock and I was making some quite pushy noises but everything was great with the baby. About half past 10, so I'd been in the pool about half an hour, that kind of feeling of something just doesn't feel like I thought it was supposed to feel, I, I can't explain it any more than that, I asked if I could have a vaginal examination. So they got me out of the pool and checked and they said that I was eight centimetres dilated and fully effaced. So fully effaced means that the cervix had completely thinned out and disappeared. So there was nothing that needed to happen there. It was literally just a little bit more dilation that was required. So I was quite pleased with that kind of half past 10, you know, things had been going maybe since about 4am, but really kicked off at eight o'clock in the morning, I'd say. So it really only had been a, a few hours of quite intense Um, you know four contractions every 10 minutes they noticed that when they did the examination that I had um, bulging waters so my waters hadn't broken and that's something that I hadn't experienced before because my waters had broken before labour last time so they asked me to try my best not to push because they could hear that I was getting a bit grunty and pushy and because my waters were bulging they couldn't really assess what position the baby was in and whether the baby's head was right there or not so 
about half an hour later I had been kind of pushing involuntarily for kind of about two hours and my contractions were then every two minutes so it was really intense and I just had some gas and air and it was starting to get a little bit ropey um at about it says here about 10 to 12 I asked for another vaginal examination so I'd had one at half past 10 so it was about an hour and a half later I wanted to know if I had progressed at all they normally wouldn't do examinations that close together but I think I was starting to feel this sinking feeling of something isn't working the way I need it to work my body doesn't feel right and so I just wanted to know whether I had progressed at all I had been working so hard you know I'd had contractions every two minutes and kind of feeling really pushy for like a good couple of hours now they checked and I was still eight centimeters no change and I was really devastated I know that eight centimeters is good but I couldn't feel the baby in like low in my pelvis and at that point something changed and I knew that I needed something else to manage the discomfort I was feeling like it was getting to a point where I thought if it gets much more painful than this and if it's going to take more than a couple of hours I I don't know if I if I really want this to be my experience so I had done it before and I knew that a transfer to hospital wasn't the worst thing in the world if it was something that I was asking for and I was okay with so I asked them to phone an ambulance at that time we were constantly being told how long the wait was I knew that it was going to be an hour um, at least so I asked them to phone an ambulance and thought well if the ambulance gets here in an hour or an hour and a half and I don't want to get in it I don't have to get in it I also may have had the baby before they get here so for me it felt like I was really comfortable with that they wanted to see if we could do anything in order to encourage the baby to come sooner so the only and I was actually at that stage as well I kind of thought well an ambulance is coming I would like the baby to be here before they get here and I said to them what can we do and the only thing kind of really that was going to be an option here was to break my waters it's known as an ARM which is an artificial rupture of membranes and I consented to that because I kind of knew that intervention was now probably going to be my pathway there was going to be some things to help this baby it didn't seem like I was going to have the completely hands-off birth experience that I had planned and for me I thought well if we can break the waters and see if we can make an assessment of baby's position properly then that's that's something that I was willing to do with um to deal with so they broke my waters and I didn't really notice much discomfort during that process but it definitely made the contractions ramp up a little bit afterwards So they were then able to see that the baby was in an ROP position, which basically means uh, posterior, um, so back to back and kind of favouring the right side, so slightly tilted to the right side. And that can be one of the most difficult positions for a baby to to be presenting in. What you really want is an anterior baby, so a baby that is um, not back to back and actually you want a kind of left favouring baby in that instance. So my baby was, um, yeah, flipped around, not upside down this time, but back to front. So it can be a problematic position for labour. It can mean that dilation takes longer. Typically, people can become kind of stuck at a certain point in their labour the pain can be more intense because the baby's skull is pressed up against your sacrum and your lower back. Yeah, it can just be a slightly more prolonged labour as well because the baby needs to rotate kind of extra um, in order to be in the right position to come out. So yeah, they were able to determine that his position was ROP, which was um, really not what we wanted, but it is exactly what I knew had happened. So it wasn't a surprise to me. They So they'd called the ambulance. I knew that I was going to need some assistance here in terms of pain management. They knew it was going to take a while. We kind of thought, well, we'll do the waters breaking and then we will wait. Uh, we'll wait to see if the waters breaking kind of speeds things up a little bit. So I got back in the pool and hoped that I could get things going before the ambulance arrived. There's a note here to say that my contractions actually did slow down a little bit here to kind of four in 10 rather than three in 10. But the pain was kind of really escalating at this point and I did feel like I was starting to panic a little bit. 
Um, the ambulance arrived about one o'clock. So yeah, it was about an hour from when we phoned and we did kind of a final vaginal examination just before to decide what was going on because if I had progressed then there was a chance that I wouldn't make it to the hospital so they would have encouraged me to stay at home but unfortunately there was no change and I was still eight centimeters and I felt like I was unable to cope anymore on my own with the gas and air it just wasn't enough for me and knowing his position knowing myself I decided that I really wanted to go and accept some further pain relief ideally an epidural at that point so yeah unfortunately the the home birth thing had to be parked but we were really prepared for that because we had done it before what was important that we tried I mean I ran to that ambulance I jumped in before even the paramedics had the chance to get back in and I was like can we go now um we checked into the hospital they checked me when I arrived so this is like oh god I don't know vaginal examination number five or something they said that my cervix had actually started to show signs of swelling which usually means that um, things have kind of been going on too long and baby's head was pushing against the cervix finally but in in kind of an uneven way and they, they noted that I was more like six centimeters at this point so I actually had gone backwards because the swelling was so severe that it was starting to kind of effectively close my cervix up again and they also noted that the baby was at station minus three so what that means basically when the baby is making its journey from the uterus through the cervix and down the birth canal if you kind of see the cervix as zero um, and being born is plus three and minus three is hasn't even started the descent yet my baby was minus three so he was really high up he had not started his descent at all through the cervix through the birth canal so he was he was high really really high we decided that well it i say we decided it was extremely obvious that i needed some pain relief this particular part of the birth is the only part that i find really difficult it was it was a level of pain that I haven't experienced before and I think it was really difficult for other people to see me like that. Um, they they just marked in my notes that I was very distressed. I'm, that's like a really mild way of putting it. I just asked, I just kept asking them to knock me out basically. The gas and air wasn't really doing anything anymore and I just kind of wanted them to knock me out but I'm glad they didn't because had I properly been knocked out then Mike wouldn't have been allowed in to see the birth and I never ever would have wanted to take that away from him but I feel like in that moment if someone had offered me god if we can make this stop but you have to chop off your leg I would have said yeah fine I will live with one leg you know it was that in that moment it was so severe that I just needed it to end so we agreed for an epidural they tried to place the epidural several times they managed to get the kind of initial tube in but the actual bit of the medication that goes in just wasn't working it wasn't placing it wasn't happening so they tried a few times and it was just so frustrating because I had you have to be still so you have to sit still and I was just I mean I could have like wrecked that place up I was absolutely crawling the walls at this point um my husband was uh started asking for a cesarean for me and we had thankfully we had discussed this and i said i don't want to have an instrumental delivery i knew that i wanted to either have a fairly hands-off physiological birth or a cesarean birth i didn't want to have a forceps birth I know lots of people who have had them and it's not something I'm interested in doing and for my personal trauma from previous experiences I wasn't interested in that kind of birth so yeah we had discussed this before and my husband quite rightly sort of asked them you know even if we get this uh, epidural placed we're probably looking at a an instrumental delivery here or more likely do you feel like this is heading towards cesarean and ultimately various conversations were had where I was in and out of it really I knew that the conversations were happening but I, I wasn't able to focus on them all I knew is that at that moment I also started asking for a cesarean section eventually they kind of I think they were 
a bit concerned because it was my partner asking for this, not me. But I was very, very happy for him to advocate for me because we had had all those conversations and that is what I wanted in the moment. And I also knew that if an epidural wasn't working, my only option really was a spinal block. So a single injection of morphine or or pain relief straight into the spine and it works differently to an epidural it can't be turned up turned down it can't be changed it's just it is what it is it's a complete block and that is what they would give me if I went in for an emergency cesarean so in that moment I was like that is what I need that is what I want my hand was forced like there was no other way of me getting any sort of pain relief that was going to work for me so I was happy to do that. He was happy to do that. We just needed it to happen then. We agreed on the cesarean at about quarter past two and it wasn't until 10 to three that we actually got into theatre for the spinal block and my contractions were just back to back at this point. They did the spinal block and it was like an angel from heaven had come to bless me because I finally, well, I could relax because... I wasn't being completely consumed by the sensations in my body and I had come to terms with the fact that this is how my baby was going to be born and I I just wanted to be there. I wanted to see it, I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to put all the worries about, oh, you know, the home birth didn't go to plan. None of that mattered in the moment. I just wanted to be present and see my baby and really feel like I was part of the process. So they checked me again because they always do and actually on the notes it said that the swelling had gone either gone down or I just dilated more because it's noted that I was at nine centimeters and the baby was minus two station so something was changing but it just wasn't changing enough and it wasn't going to be possible for me to hold on any longer I don't think so yeah we asked them to lower the curtain and so that I could kind of see roughly what was going on and we put on some music I was able to just actually be there and see it which was great so at eight minutes past three in the afternoon the baby was born Uh, he was lifted up and I actually saw him come out of my belly and I know it sounds like a strange thing but the difference I felt having seen him come out of my belly and being held up versus what it was like to have my first cesarean where it was all behind a curtain I didn't see any of it and all of a sudden there was just a baby like the disconnect between him being you know and obviously not being able to feel any of it I didn't feel him arrive I didn't see him arrive he was just there and it honestly just could have been anyone's baby it could have been any baby but this time I saw him come out I watched him literally come from my body and it was just amazing like he was big and screamy and slimy and I have an amazing picture of him coming out actually um I'll see if I can post that he was perfect um we decided not to do any weighing straight away he came straight to me skin to skin and this time we actually decided to keep my placenta which we hadn't done before and that lived in the freezer for a few months <laughs> and then actually I donated it to my good friend who runs a doula training course and they do a placenta workshop at their doula training course where somebody does a complete tour of the placenta, talks about the amazing job that it does and um, lets students have real hands-on experience with placenta so it was really lovely to donate that to them because I was able to attend that workshop with the baby and so they could all see you know the the baby that this placenta had kept alive and it was it was really special that we did that I we stayed in hospital for about 24 hours after the birth and it was a much nicer experience than the first time we had been there I think the first time it was all a bit of a shock we didn't know what to expect we didn't know anything about cesareans we didn't know how to recover from a cesarean but this time it just felt different like the staff were amazing the food was quite good yeah it just had a different vibe about it and I think we were both much calmer and yeah it was actually it was actually fine we were very glad to be released though um after 24 hours we we were able to go home and um yeah we we walked through the door and um got to introduce our baby and we named him Felix so we got to introduce our baby Felix to Rufus and um it was it was all a bit of a whirlwind really and and thank you know 
thank goodness for family, they were all already there waiting and uh, had tidied the house and sorted everything out for us, which was amazing. Yeah, so that is the birth of Felix. Breastfeeding generally went pretty well afterwards, other than I had a bit of an issue on day three when my milk was coming in. I had quite a lot of pain on one side, but I had some amazing support from um, Kaz, who was our our doula before and also is a breastfeeding counsellor. So yeah, she, she came over and just helped me in complete crisis mode and I was able to express from the painful side and feed him on the all right side um and yeah eventually we found our rhythm and yeah we're we're still good now so people ask me how I have found having two babies two kids um I have kind of found it easier in a way because I sort of know what I'm doing a bit more but it's also harder in some ways and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this my husband actually struggled more with his mental health after this second baby than he did the first time you know, we'd had, you kind of get used to having a three-year-old and then all of a sudden there's a newborn. So I don't think people can talk about that quite so much about how, yeah, it can be just as difficult, if not more difficult the second time. I definitely found the early days easier this time than I did the first time, but I'm kind of struggling a bit more now actually than I was in the early days. So my baby's about, he's seven months old while I'm recording this now. We're doing well, but yeah, it's um it's a bit of a roller coaster with two and you kind of forget about the sleep. <laughs> but he's getting better every day and I, I really have started to find a rhythm. Um, postnatally, it's been easier because I'm able to identify that everything's a phase and everything changes and it will continue to change. I just didn't know that the first time. <laughs> so I wanted to just end a little bit on my thoughts and reflections on the fact that I tried to have a VBAC and ended up having a second cesarean. I really thought that I would be completely devastated and broken and I had spent so much time and frankly a lot of money on doing all the things I could do to achieve the vaginal birth that I really really wanted but it didn't happen and I am I am gutted. I am. Like I'm I would be lying if I said I wasn't gutted and we're definitely not having any more children. So the thought of never having a vaginal birth and that kind of experience, it does make me sad. But my births are what they needed to be. Birth to me and having a successful and positive birth to me is about being educated and informed and for me it's about making the right decisions for the right reasons in the moment as you're given them and I think my birth, this birth, was a series of choices and all of those choices that I made, so everything from you know my place of birth, the I did at the consultants, all the uh, crazy headstands, all the things that I chose... I would choose all those things again and I look back and I think would I have done anything differently and I really don't think I would. The outcome ended the way it did and and I had a repeat cesarean and it's not what I wanted, it's not but I don't think any decision that I made was the wrong decision. My baby moved position the day before I had him and I don't know why and I'll never know why. I feel like I did the best that I could with what I had and because of that I feel like I've come away from it feeling pretty good actually. I feel like I've got a real sense of empathy and understanding for people, for anyone who is trying to achieve a particular birth outcome and it doesn't go that way but it's about trying to find a way in which you know that you made the choices that you made for the right reasons and for me it all comes down to that and I know that I did what I could with what I was handed in the moment. So it has kind of changed my perspective on some things as well. So I thought I would choose a labour and natural birth over anything, you know, like that was the most important thing in the whole world. But if there was ever any hypothetical third child, which there isn't, by the way, we got that vasectomy uh, over and done with fairly swiftly. But if for kind of hypothetical argument reasons if there were ever a third go I actually 
think that I would be more open to a planned repeat cesarean than I ever was before. And I think I have a more, I have a deeper understanding of posterior babies. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I think it is, it's just, um, I think it has surprised me with how not devastated I was or am. Like I said, I'm disappointed, but I kind of feel like everything came good. I am still kind of coming to terms with the fact that I haven't birthed my babies in the natural way. It kind of strangely has made me reframe my miscarriages a little bit as well. So I I don't know if any of you listening have had um, any miscarriages and if you have, I'm so deeply sorry. Those experiences for me were very similar to my labours. So I experienced contractions, um, very regular. There was definitely the urge to push. Um, Now the chapter is very much closed for the babies, um, for me. I'm kind of allowing myself to think about my lost babies and those miscarriage experiences that I talked about. I'm kind of allowing myself to include those losses in my birth experiences in a way that I hadn't before. I feel now like I have had four births and four babies and they're all kind of valid in their own weird ways. Anyway, that is my birth experience with the lovely Felix. He is absolutely gorgeous. We're really just heading into that bit now where he's trying to crawl and he's just amazing and while I didn't get the birth that I wanted I think it's really important to talk about that because I I surrounded myself so much with VBAC positive stuff and I'm really glad I did that but I also feel like it's important to share stories of people who aim for VBACs and it doesn't go that way and I, I still consider myself to have had a really good empowered birth and it just wasn't exactly what I wanted to be and that's okay and I'm okay with it. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to my birth story. I'm really excited to bring you even more birth stories for season four as we go forward. I've got some amazing guests coming up. Please do subscribe, follow me, Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff and um, yeah be the first to know when new episodes are coming. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.